we try to give you a moment of peace. Because again, one of the most personal things you'll do is what goes inside your body. And if we're allowed to be part of your life and part of your lifestyle, we're honored. All right, lovely people. Welcome to another exciting episode where we talk to the movers and shakers. I'm talking about you entrepreneurs out there who are willing to stick your neck out on the line and take the risk to solve the problem that you can no longer tolerate. Today's episode, we've got a really special and sweet episode ahead. I've got Mr. Glenn Cardone, president and CEO of Red Chocolate, a very seasoned entrepreneur in the house to talk about his, I think, three plus decades of experience in this game we call business. Glenn's going to bring a very unique perspective on the relationship between personal growth and business success and share some of his insights uh, around managing stress along the journey. Glenn, welcome to the show, man. How are you? I'm great, Carl. And thank you for having me, man. It's greatly appreciated. And, you know, you make me feel old when you say 30 years, but I can't believe it's been a 30-year journey and it's been one heck of a journey. So uh, hopefully I can input and then give folks out there just a few nuggets they can take with themselves on their journey. And, you know, ultimately, you know, our goal is success, no matter what we're trying to do in life, right? Yeah, absolutely, man. We are incredibly touched that you'd be, take, you'd be willing to take the time to spend just a little bit of your day with us. But, you know, I want to get to know you as a man before we talk about all the, the boring and exciting business stuff. I think I read somewhere that you're the son of immigrant parents and yeah. I'm the son of immigrant parents. My parents come from a small country in West Africa. So I've always felt like I've got this little weird chip on my shoulder. I'm curious if you feel that way, too. The chip on my shoulder was really from my upbringing, I guess, is the best way to put it. So I'll give you a couple examples. So, you know, I'm first generation American. My, both of my parents came over from Italy and never spoke Italian in the house when when we were around, spoke to each other in Italian, but never to us. You know, fast forward many years later and I've got two boys and they're very young and I see my mom sitting down and she's teaching them how to speak Italian for the numbers. You start off with, you know, un, dos, tres, you know, and I'm like, wait a minute. You didn't say one word in front of me, but you said it and you're telling my boys how to do it. And her statement back yeah. to you is, you grew up American. They, they need to know their heritage and their background. And so yes. there was definitely that chip that, you know, you say, okay, you know what? You want to be successful because, you know, you, you feel like you, you want to have a purpose. And what's really interesting, Carl, at least for me, so it's not like I was one of those lucky ones, you know, 19 years old and, you know, knew exactly what I wanted to do in life and, you know, just raring to go. I was almost in my 40s till I figured out what my passion was, but I didn't oh, wow. sit around and waste my life for 20 years. I knew that my journey, while it may not be exactly what I knew was what was going to happen and how it was going to happen, I knew that what I was doing was going to be part of the experience I needed once I began the journey that really made Glenn Gardone grow. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, brother. You know, I think it's the classic sort of tale of how where you currently are serves where it is you're going. You know, like there, there's really no wasted season here in life. And I think we all need to be willing to challenge ourselves to pull from a previous season as what ultimately gives us, you know, the strength and the resilience to take on the next thing that comes. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 You know, the, the biggest piece, you know, as an entrepreneur, because again, you know, at, at one point in my career, I was employee 10,492. You know, I, I had that role. 
And, you know, through the years have decided, you know, growing up, I didn't even know how to spell the word entrepreneur, never mind being surrounded by those type of mentors. So a lot of it was just, you know, really just learning as I went along. And, and you know, you, you stick your neck out a little bit when you're, you're not sure about the risk. You stick it out a little more when you start to get a, feel a little more comfortable. And, you know, at some point you're way over your skis, as they like to say. You know, yeah. I call it punching through the mud, man. Because you're right, yeah, every step I've taken in my life, you know, there was a reason for it. And there have been some times that I've been neck deep in the mud, but I knew I had to go through it. Holy shit. Yeah, we're definitely going to get to that punching uh, the mud things. I read up on that and I was really curious to hear your perspective. You, you've also said that every step in business ultimately helps you grow as an individual. And yeah. I, I've been in business now full time, three years since I left the whole corporate thing. And I, and I definitely realized that, holy crap. In addition to like learning these skills, there's definitely a spiritual journey happening as well, too. But, you know, you're a few chapters ahead of me. I think it's safe to say. And so I'm just yeah. curious, like, what was that specific moment in your career where you noticed there was growth starting to unfold along your journey? You know, so there, there were a couple of moments in my life. And actually, from, from a business and a professional, we'll talk business first. Then we'll talk, actually, business and personal. We'll talk business first. So... You know, in one of the roles that I had, I was afforded the opportunity to have a career coach. I was chosen, you know, they, they picked a group of people that they considered to be the future of the organization, and they gave you a career coach that would work with you. So to understand how to present to a board of directors, to understand presenting all the way down to the way you dressed, everything. And I remember sitting in, you know, one of our sessions, so to speak, and she looked at me, she said, look, I'm going to tell you something. I said, what's that? She said, if you ever repeat that I said this, I'm going to lie that I never said it because I'll get fired, but you're too good for this company. And I said, what? You know, because in my mind, I was bleeding those companies' colors and I wanted to be there for the next hundred years. You know what I mean? And so that's all my mind and focus was on. And when she said that, I went, wow, this is a complete outsider. Because, you know, when you're, again, in that mud, you don't really see clearly. But when somebody, and she came to me and she said that I was too good for it, it took me a and it was like, wow, am I not being able to reach my potential? Is being the best here, has that been too satisfying? Because being the best here could be like the third worst over at this organization. And I, and personally, you know, I played baseball a lot of years ago. I was a pretty good baseball player. You know, I was, you know, I held my own, you know, I was a good hitter, you know, got a great arm, so on and so forth. And I was one of the best within my league. And I remember going off and going to college. And I remember walking out to that team, and I was one of the worst on the team. That's when I saw true, true, you know, uh, uh, the true power of just God's given, God's gifts of being able to play baseball. You know, we watch baseball on TV, and we all sort of go, oh, I could do that. It's a 90-mile-an-hour fastball, no big deal. I tell people, I'll give you a baseball bat, and I'll drive a car at 90 miles an hour past you, and you still won't be able to hit it, never mind, a, you know, something this big. You know what I mean? God bless those people. But, you know, and that was just, it was very opening because there was these moments, both personally and professionally, where I said, wow, you know, I better start challenging myself a little more, you know, because I don't want to get complacent. Fast forward yeah. many years later, and again, still trying to find that passion, still trying to find it. And I think this was the defining moment because, you know, I spent a lot of nights, you know, in hotel rooms by myself saying, okay, so what are we going to do, man? What are we going to do? I don't amazing wife you know she's been with me 27 years i got two great boys i'm blessed you know i got awesome family great friends but 
you know, I felt a little hollow, man. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, what what defined Glenn, you know? I mean, I had all these pieces, but it just wasn't right for me. And so, you know, I took over an organization of about 70 people. And we worked really hard. We turned the business around. And it was a group effort. And I had a, a holiday party. And so... I had everybody come in and I had their spouses come in and families because, you know, we're a family, man. We spend a lot of time together. And so yeah. I remember one of the husbands came up to me and he said, hey, I want to thank you, Glenn. I said, oh, no problem, man. I'm glad you came to the party. He goes, no, no, no. Thank you for the party. I want to thank you for giving me my wife back. I said, what are you talking about? He said, that woman over there bled for this company for many years. And then about five years ago, she just... Everything caved in around her and she had terrible bosses and the corporate was on her and blah, 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 blah. But then you came in and I picked her up out of the deep end of the pool, toweled her off and said, no, you're one of the people I want to have around me. You're good. You're just, you know, you're clouded with everything else that you don't need to be. He said, I saw this woman go from hating life. And, and I'll tell you, Glenn, I told her 500 times, quit the damn company. You could do better. And she's like, no, no, no. I know this is where I'm supposed to be. And now wow. I see her on Sunday and she's doing work. I'm like, come on, hang out. She's like, no, I got to do this. I know Glenn would do it. I want to do it for the company. He goes, and you gave me my wife back. She's got her passion. She's got her desire to, to want to be her. And so that's when I went, oh, wow, man, you know what? I can affect people outside yeah. of work. You know what yeah. I mean? And when you got that kind of power, yeah. you know, you could be a jerk and screw up with it. Or you could try to say, you know what? How do I, how do, I do better? And that's really was that, that. A moment. That's incredible, man, because at that moment, it's really so much more about, you know, the, the overarching purpose and mission, which involves people. It's less about yourself. And, you know, one of the things with entrepreneurship is, man, dude, it could be suffering. You know, you talk about the mud. And I know that the moments that have really helped propel and carry me along to not quit and not, you know, take my freaking football and leave the arena, so to speak, have been the moments where I look at my team. You know, and we recognize that we're providing for them and their families. And it's like, if I'm going to ask you to go the extra mile, I better be willing to freaking go the extra mile myself. You know, I can't ask somebody to do something that I'm not going to do myself. That's right. a really beautiful testimony there, brother. Super beautiful testimony. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny you say that because, you know, I tell entrepreneurs when I get a chance to talk to them all the time, look, at some point you're going to have to take a knee, man. We all have. We all have. And just just know that when you take that knee, there's folks like myself, because there were people behind me, too, with our hand on your shoulder saying, it's okay, man, we've been there. And as I always tell people, I'll help you up, but I'm not going to carry you. If you want to take this journey, let's we'll do it together, but we're going to go together and we're going to punch through that mud together. And, you know, if, you know, the one thing you have to be passionate about is that fear of failure. It's not about the want to succeed because everybody wants to be happy. Success makes yeah. you happy. So everybody strives for that. It's the fear of failure that most people don't do anything in their life because they're afraid to fail. Well, you know what, brother? It's okay if you fail. Take a knee, take a breath, then stand up and keep moving forward. Yeah, I mean, well, inherently as human beings, we are far more motivated by, you know, the risks, right? The fear. It's called a risk aversion, right? Versus what we can stand in. And I always tell myself, like, what, what, what do I potentially stand to lose if I don't go the distance? You know, and the thing that I'm really afraid of is getting to the end of my life or whenever that day comes and it's time to punch the ticket and being left with those thoughts like, man, what could have happened if I went up and said hello to the woman or 
what could have happened if I went out and, you know, was willing to try to raise the investment to launch the thing. It's like, I'd, I'd rather know and have that door be shut in my face and deal with the quote unquote embarrassment or whatever than be left right. thinking, wondering. Because you, 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 you never get that answer, right? Oh, no, no. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, what's really interesting, you know, you, you talk about trying to make sure that you do it versus taking the the easier way and saying no, i'm not going to do it because you know if you don't ask it's an automatic no you've heard that a thousand times in your life yeah, and yeah. you know and the worst thing that can happen and i tell people this all the time now, I, i've been in sales a long time i've been in finance marketing sales and i've been selling a long time there is nothing that you can say to me that would ever hurt my feelings if you say no okay it's not right for you Whatever it is, you know, and, and I, you know, to when I, whether it's a retail storefront, whether it's, you know, red chocolate, whether it's a consulting business, you know, whatever you're doing, if that person says no, you know, I don't believe you should, you should, especially on a consulting side, if you ask a person and they blow you off and they blow you off, there's a point where you got to say, okay, what, no more of this. I got to go to where they are because, you know, if there's a million people, but you're taking 10 minutes a day on this one person you're chasing down that hasn't talked to you in three months and is ghosting you because we all know we get ghosted happens to all of us don't waste your time on it you know what it's it's time wasted and it's more time wasted go after one of those 999,999 other people that do want it because you know if whatever it is whether you know whether again it's red chocolate whether you're in retail it's not right for everybody. You know, red chocolate, I've got data, reams and reams of data that show that 80% of the people that eat red chocolate love red chocolate. It means 20% of the people don't. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can't satisfy everybody. Exactly. You're not supposed to. You know, it's like I, I laugh at what's happening in the world. I just saw Bud Light's stock price just plummeted the other day because <laughs> they ignored the part of the market that actually likes them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're you know, trying to like go out and appeal to another part of the market that probably doesn't drink beer, much less Bud Light kind of beer. They're a brilliant organization, and and I can only imagine. You know, we're a we're a much smaller company than Dan or Bush dealers say, yeah. and I know the data that I have. I can only imagine the data that they carry. So I would have loved to have sat in that room, you know, when decisions were being made, so that you know. I could understand the philosophy. You know, it's funny. I'm actually ex Coca Cola, and I was there oh, when wow. New Coke came out. You know, back in the '80s, New Coke came out, and it was like, what? And, and it just exploded, and people screamed. And you know, then it was like, you know, oh, we're going to old Coke, and then we have New Coke, and it was just, it was a debacle. And you know, again, that, at that point, it was above my pay grade. I wasn't part of it, but you could see yeah. just from a from a basic consumer common sense. And you know what the problem is, Carl? A lot of times we yeah. try to get smarter than we really are. You know, stop things here that, you know, people, you know, they try to, you know, rebuild that wheel. Well, the wheel is fine. Let's yeah. figure it out and let's use the wheel we have. You know, I, yeah. I always I tell everybody I'm not the smartest guy at the table. I'm not. And I don't want it that way. I want people that are within my organization smarter than me at the table so we can bring great ideas together. But I do see people sometimes they try to make it more difficult. And I've seen it throughout my career. You know, I'll give yeah. you a, a story. So there was a hot sauce company. And they what they wanted to do is they wanted to give ways for people to use more hot sauce. 
And so they went through this massive, you know, program and they brought in consultants and, you know, they were set up and they they brought it out to the sales organization. And they showed all these slides and everything they wanted to do. And one guy, one of the older sales guys raised his hand and they said, yeah, what, what can we do for you? He said, I have a question. He said, what's that? He said, why don't you just make the hole bigger on the top? That way, when you pour it out, more comes out and they'll use more. <laughs> and, everyone's, and everybody just looked at each other and went, fuck. You know, it's like one of those moments. But you, know, you could spend $15 million on a great program. And all you had to do was make the hole a little bigger. Make the hole a little bit bigger. And I think ultimately, brother, it comes down to being empathetic to what your consumers want. And I want to get your take on this because prior to Red Chocolate, we're going to talk a little bit about what you're doing there and all that deliciousness you're building over there in your Willy Wonka factory. You were a big CPG guy. I think I read you took like four or five companies across the finish line. You know, you you mentioned you were with Coca-Cola. You know, the world of CPG is becoming incredibly competitive. And I think a lot of these big marketers and these big wigs are trying to outsmart the consumers or trying to pander to different segments, just trying to figure it out like we all are. What do you think, or how do you think consumers ultimately decide what products they want to use? Like, like oh. what, what's the mind of a consumer, especially when you were in it, Glenn, trying to decode that game of Tetris and how do you feel like they actually make their purchasing decisions? There's two steps that they do. First of all, when a consumer walks by, and this is pre-pandemic, so it's actually even shorter now. But pre-pandemic, you'd get about anywhere between 8 and 11 seconds for a consumer to see your product. Now, if they know your product, totally different story. But if you're brand new on the shelf, you had 8 to 11 seconds for them to go, that's interesting. And that's all you uh-huh. wanted was, that's interesting, okay? Then yeah. the next step is what we call the value proposition. Now, I can line up 10 people, and I could have seven different value propositions. So red chocolate, all right? We're very simple. You take red chocolate, and what we stand for, we're no sugar added. So a person would look at that, and they could say, that's a great price. That's good for me, okay? And that could be one. Somebody else could care less about price, eat it. 80% of them go, this is great. I love this creamy European chocolate. That's for me. Then you could have somebody who says, you know, I like myself, Carl. So I'm a type 2 diabetic, okay? I can't eat sugar chocolate. I am an unapologetic chocolate. That's why I'm here. It's because of yeah. that. I mean, it's, this yeah. isn't a widget to me. This is personal. And so when I look at the options I had, the value for me was, does it meet my health need? Is it still good? And what's the price on it? Because honestly, I don't want to spend five, six bucks on a candy bar. I don't want to. I just, at that point, it's not worth it for me. My value gets skewed. So the first thing is, is it what they need? Again, what I told you about, you're talking to people and you go some, because somebody could walk by and look at it and go, I don't like chocolate. Well, they're not going to like red chocolate then. And it's that simple. They could walk by and go, oh, I do like chocolate. Huh, red chocolate. The packaging catches my eye. Oh, I like that it's not GMO. I like it's kosher. And they start going through part of that value process. So really, you know, the message first and, and it doesn't resonate with them. And then it's all about the value that they see behind it. Because that's why you have people that buy, you know, Teslas. And you got people that buy, you know, 71 VW bucks, man. Because some people yeah. think, hey, man, it's four wheels. And I just need to get from point A to point B. And other people say, you know what? I want to drive and stop. Yeah. Would it? Yeah. And so what I'm hearing you say there is like you, you kind of need to know your customer segment and then how you position the product to help them and figure out the value prop is there or not. The issue, though, that I see, Glenn, especially for, you know, folks that have been in this 
entrepreneurship space for two, three years. They're trying to figure out product market fit or whatever is we're so damn competitive. We want all of the market. You know what I mean? It's like we want to serve everybody and we feel like niching down or being overly descriptive about who the product is for is somehow going to affect the longevity of the business. I mean, can you speak to how you were making some of those specific yes. decisions that require that balance, especially in your early days at Red? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we knew the segment we wanted to talk to. It was simple. So we knew that we wanted to talk to chocolate lovers. Okay. There, like I said, there are people who are not chocolate lovers. There are people that don't like any type of candy for whatever reason, and that's fine. So we want to talk to this segment here. And everything we do, like we won't ha we won't sell bicycles. It's not what we do. We make amazing chocolate, and that's all we do. You know, and, and I've run other companies that did sell bicycles, and that's all they did. So, you know, the idea being that when you understand from a consumer packaged goods, you have to understand what is your product used for and who would be the consumer that buys it. And then you've got to understand why that consumer, because right now, so the people that make up red chocolate, 77% of the people that buy our products hadn't bought in the chocolate category the prior six months. So we oh, wow. know that, okay? So we already know that they, they have bought chocolate, but they're not continuous users. They're not high-target users. These are people that have uh -huh. tried it, and it's like, you know, I bought something because I want to enjoy it, but I, I really don't care. So what we want to do is we want to satisfy the, the need of that and find out why they weren't buying. We also want to understand our demographic, who buys red, okay? Now, you know, we're in 12,000 store doors across the country, so we're in multiple channels. We're also the number one chocolate sold on the home shopping network. The reason I bring that up is because if you think about the different demographics, the person that watches the home shopping network, that is a yeah. female demographic that is yeah. 27 to 60. And so we can also see from there, based on that, if what we're saying is a value to them. When we oh. go in and we work within our on our social media channels, what we do is we, we have a message. Now, the message could be delivered differently, but it's the same message. We're a European chocolate. We're crafted using non-GMO. We're gluten-free. We never use palm oils. And we're kosher. So if you love great-tasting European chocolate without all the refined sugar, so you don't have to worry about your immune system, we're the one to do. Yeah. I just explained our entire mission statement to you in 10 seconds. I didn't go so, through and I bought it, bought it, because I've seen people, and you ask them that, and they go on this, like you said, diatribe, because they want to they wanna be something to everyone. Don't be, man. Don't be. Yeah. Because when you try to be something for everyone, you're nothing to anyone. Oh, man. So well said. I, and I, I'm just wondering, is that why you call it red? Like, does that have something to do with like that 27 to 60 year old home network shopper? Is, is that kind of just get her all loosey goosey and want them to buy some chocolates or what? <laughs> no, no, no. So it's funny. So, red in Eastern European literature, when it was okay. brought, brought over to the English language, the term red was used in regards to passion and beauty and lust mm -hmm. and love. You probably heard of red square. It used to be called the yeah. beautiful square. And then it became oh. red square. So when you think of red for Valentine's Day, for instance, that's not a Hallmark yeah. moment. Red became <laughs> part of 
community, and that's from Europe, Eastern European literature. So red, because we think our product is beautiful to look at. That's part of that first value proposition. It doesn't look like junk. It's not a flat piece of boring chocolate. It's not yeah. our name on it. You know, we don't, we're not ego-driven. We want people to look at this. I want red to be a badge for people, all right? You'll take oh. your sugared chocolate bar and you'll put it in your draw. This one, yeah. I want to be on top of the desk. Oh, wow. I can tell you've given that a lot of thought and consideration. I mean, nothing about what you've shared seems hodgepodge together. You know, there, no. there's a lot of sort of madness to the, the, the methodology here. And I imagine that's stressful, brother. Like, you know, putting in the hours in the dark and nobody's watching to really think about what the consumer needs and, and to be willing to then, you know, go out, source the right material and the right ingredients and, basically create this experience that over delivers for the person yeah. that you're going to serve. And I mean, speak to that process of it. I know that's something that I struggle with when I was about a year in, you know, it was all about hitting a number, hitting a number, hitting a number. And then we had to sit back and we had to look at ourselves. We had to say, wait, why did we start this? Oh, we, we want to serve business owners that feel like they don't have time, know-how or bandwidth or expertise to get a message out there. Okay. Well, what do they need and how do we meet them where they are so that they can actually go with us on this journey. And, and that takes a lot of time. It's service. So like, how did you think about that? How do you continue to think about that? You know, as you look to grow the product line or add more SKUs or whatever it might be. Sure. Sure. No, absolutely. You know, it's funny because uh, first Red's in 28 countries. So we've got 28 different sets of rules, I guess is the best way to look at it. Because when you go into different countries, it's all different rules. And if when you talk food, it's even, I mean, if you think about it, you know, you could buy clothing, but there's nothing more personal than what you put inside your body. So food is very personal to people, you know? And so that's why when we talk about being part of the red family, we really mean it. We're not transactional. So, you know, you said chase that number and don't get me wrong, brother. I chased a lot of numbers in my career, you know, end of the month, end of the quarter, end of the year. What have you done for me lately? You know what I mean? We, we've all lived that man and it sucks. All right. Here's what I will tell you. And I tell this to my sales team all the time. Number one, Every person that's in this organization was put in this organization for a reason. The senior leadership team I've chosen, I've chosen them for a multitude of reasons. Now they go out and they pick people for their team for a different set of reasons. It may be some of the same, but it's in their mind, their eyes, because it's important to them. And I'll explain the whole senior leadership team in a second here. And what I tell people all the time, look, we have numbers we have to hit to remain healthy. We all have overheads and you've got your variable costs. Don't get me wrong. But the fact is, if I told you to do a million dollars with the product and you came in at 900,000, are you wrong for not hitting the 900,000 or if I, am I wrong because we couldn't do a million? So at the end of the day, you know what I want? On December 31st, I want to be able to look you in the eye and for you to say to me, I did everything I could and sold every bar I could. And I made sure that every single one wasn't a transaction and it meant something to that consumer. It meant something to our retail partners. And so if you could say that to me, then we've got a winner. And I don't care if it was, you know, 901,000 or a million six. I would expect you to be able to deliver them what you could. You know, you talked about how I was able to get a lot of things done here because there was a lot of, a lot of different parts moving. And again, as I said earlier, I'm not the smartest guy at the table. I've got, I've got a management team. COVID hit. So we launched here in the United States in October of 19. March of 20, the world shuts down. So I've got a full organization. We're, we're, we're rocking along. We're a new organization. We're a new food. 
you know, think about grocery stores, think about all the things that were happening. And so, you know, we're trying to launch to get the message out of who Red is. And so we shut down. All right. We, you know, when they told everybody, you know, we're, we're based out of nobody in office, blah, blah. We were shut down for probably four or five days. And my head of supply chain calls me. We're all working out of our homes. Right. Got this big warehouse. Nothing's moving out of it because no trucks are on the road. You know, I mean, there's nothing. Right. And my head of supply chain, she calls me one night. She goes, hey, I'm going in the office tomorrow. I said, well, what are you going in the office for? What's what's going on? I talked to the team and we need to get back in the office. I said, well, hold on. Explain what's what's up. We need to get back on the road. We got a lot of customers and we got things we need to do. The team will take the, you know, take the necessary steps. I said, okay, look, I'm going in too because I want to make sure, you know, as the leader, I got to worry about everything, man. You know, yes, yeah, I yeah. want Red to be successful, but I got to make sure my people are safe. You know what I mean? Because ultimately, you know, I got to make yeah. sure that's part of yeah. what I do, man. It's, you know, it's not even the liable part. It's the, it's the moral yeah. thing. You know what I mean? I don't care if somebody's there and said, oh, don't worry about it, Glenn. You'd never get in trouble, which I wouldn't. But that's not, I don't talk about trouble. I'm talking about me as a man. This is not what I want, right? And so I came in a couple of days later. And again, we did our distancing. We were probably shipping out. 20, 25% of what we usually shipped because it was just the loads and everything we were trying to do and the distance. I get a call from my head of marketing and she says, I hear you're in the office. I said, yeah, you know, I was talking to Sharon and she wanted to come in. I go through her whole story with her and she said, we want to come in the office too. I said, no, 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 you guys are fine. She goes, no, we can come help. This is when we need to be together. So all of a sudden my marketing team comes in. Then my finance person comes in. And it wasn't, a, this isn't my job. It was, you know what? You need help back in the warehouse, Sharon? We'll load some cases for you. You want to build displays? We'll go build some displays for you. You know, my job was to make sure there was always pizza around. You know what I mean? Because they, they don't. Keep Glenn out of it. Keep Glenn out of it. But, you know. And, it's going to be a bottleneck. Yeah. Exactly. You're just going to screw things up, Glenn. You know, yeah. the, the running joke this year is, if you want to know what's going on, don't ask Glenn. But, no. So, <laughs> So, you know, you know, and I tell people this all the time, if you really, you know, if you, if you are fortunate enough to be an entrepreneur and to be, have some success and have some teammates, some employees, the best way to understand your culture, and especially if you're walking into an organization that you're trying to grow, bring pizza in, just put it down. Now, if you see a bunch of people take the slices and go off into their corners, you got a horrendous culture. But if you sit there and you watch and you see people sitting down and they're eating pizza and they're talking business, they're talking personal, they're just getting to know each other. I've been to some dinners that were 25 minutes long, and I've been to some dinners that were over three hours. And it wasn't because people were drinking. It was because people truly enjoyed each other's company. And I think yeah. having that here has been able to, to really help us over the hurdles and to fly like companies never has i mean again we've only been here three years and we're already in twelve thousand store doors we're we're doing what took some companies a decade in a way yeah. of sales and it's all because of what the marketing team has been able to do with telling the message to consumers that find a value in it a supply chain team that's worked you know works their tail off and yeah you know what i don't do a 40-hour week brother carl i haven't done a 40-hour week in a long time man but I'm okay with it. You know what I mean? I'm okay with it. I got an amazing wife who will come in and we'll grab some lunch and we'll chat. Or, yeah. you know, so she understands sometimes I got to come in on a Saturday and I got to do things because I got to get caught yeah. up or whatever because I've been on the road. You know, I travel the world. Yeah. So, oh, it's, man. But it's okay. I want to tip my cap to you, man, because it just sounds like you really plugged into what so many large corporate behemoths are trying to figure out right now. And that is how do you build culture? How do you build identity? 
you know, this sense of you've called it the ref family a couple of times. I don't know if that's how you all branded internally, but this sense of family where it's like, no, I got your back. You got my back. And at the end of the day, like we may have different functions, you know, some a little bit more glamorous than others or whatever, but we're here to achieve the North Star. And that is to deliver for the, the customer. And that's probably why you've grown so quickly here in the States over the past three years. So that's absolutely incredible, man. But I can imagine that, you know, you probably took your fair share of bumps and bruises to actually get there. You know, you've said several times on the recording today, you're not the smartest guy in the room, nor am I, my, my friend. And I think experience is just the mother of all teachers out there. Yeah. So, so there's been a lot of bumps and bruises in my, in my career. And one that, that was a big dent to my ego, I guess, is the best way to look at it. So I was one of the top salespeople in this organization globally. And, you know, I would walk in and I'd expect people to go, oh, Mr. Gardone, oh, Mr. Gardone, oh, Mr. Gardone. You know what I mean? Because I was young and I was an idiot, right? I thought I was yeah. bigger than I was. I had a mentor. And I've had a couple of mentors in my life. And the mentor sat me down and he said, hey, Glenn, he said, I have a question for you. I said, what's that? He said, how long was this company around before you joined us? I said, oh, about 100 years. He said, how long do you think the company will be around once you leave us, because everybody leaves. I said, oh, I'll be another 100 years. He said, that's right. Don't think you're a big shot. Be part of the reason for the success, not the reason for failure. Don't be that negative influence. And so with my attitude, all of a sudden, I was not the positive force. I was actually the negative force, which was interesting, because in my mind, I was running through all the walls people wanted me to. But with other people, they're looking at me like, oh, here comes trouble. You know, what I mean, so it was one of those pieces. You know, I remember yeah. the the first time I got the opportunity, I was employee number three with the first startup when I decided corporate America was not for me. And I decided to go into, for lack of a better phrase, private equity. And I was employee number three. And employee one was the person who had the idea. Employee two was the money person. And employee three was the one that built the business plan. And so I decided to take a chance. My wife said, hey, you know what? Go for it. You know, I was in corporate America, making great money. And I wasn't, once we were going, you know, private equity, the whole idea is you make a little bit of money, but you make a lot of money at the end. And, yeah. you know, where, you know, corporate America, you've got 14 people order toilet paper, you know, in private equity, man, <laughs> you're, 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 sitting in the, you're sitting in the back of the airplane hoping that your luggage made it on. You know what I'm saying? Because it's 2 a.m. and you're just stuck in the middle of Oshkosh, Wisconsin, because you just made it. <laughs> All right? So believe me, totally different lifestyle, man. I went from fl flying private corporate to, you know, may I please get on a seat, sir? May I please? Right? But I remember sitting in there and, uh, you know, we I was talking and we had actually hired an assistant to help us, you know, paperwork and all that because I was all over the place. And I said, you know, I asked her where the stapler was and she said, when you go get us one, we'll have a stapler. And I started laughing. I went, you know what? All right. So these ego-driven things where you think you're the best, you think you're the yeah. smartest, there's always somebody smarter than you that knows just exactly how to knock you down a little bit to bring you yeah. back to a little reality, you know? I've never been in, there was one time, and this, you could take it how you want it, but I had taken over an organization with, uh, with a, it was a large company, large CPG company. And I had taken over a piece that hadn't been successful for a very long time. And so they had what was called stake state. That's when you'd go in and present to the senior management team what you're going to do for the following year. You talk about numbers chasing. So I went in and I presented to, you know, it was all the executives, including the CEO of the company. And this was a $7 billion company. This was not some podunk company, very large company. And so, you know, and you're in this like auditorium, everybody's seating up and you're standing down here and, you know, you're 
pointing in with your pointer and, you know, going through. And that was fine. I, I don't mind presenting. So I go through everything and I show them that we're going to have growth the following year. Now, this is a team that hadn't, hadn't not only had not grown, but had failed every year for the last decade. And the most senior person in there said, I disagree. You're not going to do that. I said, well, you're wrong. Just like, and when I said you're wrong, you could see everybody in the place go, whoa. And everybody was going away from me. There now. Exactly. It's like, okay, I guess I got the target on my back, but you know what? I believed in what I could do. I went home and talked to the team and told them exactly what I did. And every team was like, you're out of your mind. I'm like, hey, I believe in you. I think we can do it. Fast forward. This was, that was the following year. I'm not going to tell you how we did, but a month and a half later, we're on a, we're in Las Vegas for one of our massive global meetings. There's four or 500 people there. I get on a bus. One of the first seats on a bus is that executive who I hadn't seen for months and months and months. And so he goes, why don't you sit down here? Big shot, right? I said, okay. So I sit down. He goes, so you remember when we talked about stay stable? I said, yeah. He said, so what'd you learn from that? I said, I learned you're wrong. And I was right because we hit our number. And he just looked at me and he looked at my boss and my boss just went like this. I said, you know what, guys, sometimes I understand you got to eat a little crow, but you know what, when you, when you are right and you've proven you're right, it should count for something. Well, it did count for something. About five months later, I was deciding, you know what, this is no longer for me because I had already heard, Glenn, you're going about as far as you can in this organization. They're not going to, as long as he's in charge, you're not taking the next step because the next step was reporting an AM. So I said, okay, fine. So off I left and I was successful somewhere else. So, you know, <laughs> I, it, it, it's good to have a little bit of ego and bravado, but you got to have a way more humility, man. You really do. Yeah. You know, I'm proud of Red. Red is like one of my kids. I, I love working for the company. But I yeah. absolutely adore the people that make up the Red organization. I respect the hell out of the brand. You know, Red to me is, it's like one of my kids at this point. Wow. That's incredible, man. And so obviously, and I'm not a parent yet, but I would imagine, you know, the goal for any parent is to shepherd their kid into a young adult that can go out into the world and, you know, contribute in a meaningful way. And so how do you think about that for Red? Like what's next? What are you guys looking to, I guess, take down or take red to now that you've successfully penetrated the U.S. market? So from a U.S. perspective, we actually got a couple of more items that are actually coming out that I think are going to be really exciting and ahead of their time. So at the end of May, we are going to actually be launching our first vegan product. It's a certified vegan product. And the reason we're bringing it out, it's not because of the flavor of the moment or anything like that, because we would have brought out a, you know, I've gone through over 200 recipes on our vegan product till I got something that I thought was good. And then we tested it with a few groups and it was exactly what, again, I would expect if I was Mm -hmm. to take my money out of my pocket and buy this bar, this is what I expect. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty tough cookie when it comes to that because I'm cheap. I'll be the first one to admit it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So (laughs) if I'm going to put money out, I want to make sure it's worthwhile for me. And so we will continue to to bring brands that make sense for red and that we feel the American consumer is is looking for and the needs are not met. You know, we're not going to come out with a same old or a me too product. I'm not going to come out with, you know, a white one and a yellow. We're not going to do that. We don't do Easter bunnies. That's not what we do. I let everybody else do that and they're fine to do that. I'm not looking to sell 2 billion bars. I am not, you know, the big H here on, you know, the candy owl. That's not me. I don't want to be that. We do about about a million bars a week right now, roughly, in sales. Bars a week. Wow. That's that yeah. probably a lot of distribution, I would imagine. 
Yeah, yeah, there's a lot. We're in about 12,000 store doors across the country. You know, we're in the military. We're, you know, we're in Kroger's. We're in BJ's, one of our newest retailers, which has done yeah. a phenomenal job. So we're in a bunch of different, you know, channels of business within the confection area. And what we want to do is we want to make sure that whenever we bring something out, there is a reason for being for it, a multitude of reasons for being. Does it stick with our message? You know, I'm not coming out with a, a, a sh with an oat milk sugar. So I had to make sure that when we did an oat milk-based vegan product, that it friggin' tasted good. Because a yeah. lot of times, a lot of these products, you'd rather eat the package it came in than the product itself, you know? We've all right. been there. So, you yeah. know, there is this there is this connotation that, oh, if it's, you know, I don't like calling it healthy. First of all, chocolate's not healthy. I tell people that all the time, right? Chocolate is not healthy, man. We call it smart indulgence. Because you're yeah. going to indulge. You should enjoy. Just do it a little smarter. That's all. Ooh. And I was telling you, you know, we I've got, I've got a million bosses every single week. And so, you know, because the American consumers are my boss. You know, that's who that's who tells me what's going on. I love and that. I answer every single email that comes in. I don't care if there's 125 emails when I come in on a Tuesday morning. That's one of the first things I do is because you can easily find me. My information is out there. It's all over my the website at red-chocolate.com. So you could reach out to me. No big deal. Yeah. And so and I like to hear from people. And so yeah. when I get stories of you changed my life, when I get stories of I can't believe how good it is, when I get stories yeah. about you know, and, and I don't get me wrong. I get a story once in a while that people are, you know what I mean? It's like, hey, yeah. thanks for trying us. You know what I mean? Again, 80% of people are going to love me. Two aren't. Yeah. And one of those two may write me an email. And it yeah. is what it is. You know what I mean? That's so awesome, brother. I mean, your marketing is spot on, too. I'm, I'm over here looking at my other screen at some of just your packaging and the messaging, the pleasure without the guilt. I, I got to tell you, folks, if, if you're a chocolate lover, check this stuff out. I know I got some bars that are Denver bound. So I can't wait to get my hands on them. But I, I want to close here, Glenn. You said so many impactful things, both from, you know, the entrepreneurial perspective to building teams and cultures and products that are empathetic. I want to ask you this last question, and that is, what business are you actually in? What are you actually selling to people? I sell a moment of peace. It's the best way for me to explain it. You know, we all got crazy lives, brother. And if you think about when you grab yourself a piece of chocolate, it could be in the morning when you're like, you know what, I just need a little, little, little something before I go to lunch. It could be, you know what, I had a big lunch and I just want a little sun. It could be an evening where you just, everything's finally a little bit calmer. You know what I mean? You're just like, you know what, I'm going to grab myself a diamond and I'll pop a diamond in. I, I, we, we try to give you a moment of peace because, again, one of the most personal things you'll do is what goes inside your body. And if we're allowed to be part of your life and part of your lifestyle, we're honored. Glenn Gardo, man, what a pleasure, brother. I appreciate you. you for sharing the jewels and the nuggets of wisdom, giving us just a little taste into your story, man. And I can't wait to have one of those bars because even as you communicate that, I have a visual going in my mind about, yeah, I could see myself with a little piece of something just taking the edge off getting me ready for the next thing that I'm getting ready to step into. And I want to thank you for being willing to be unsatisfied enough to stick your neck on the line and go the distance, brother, and really build something special for people, you know, not just the consumers, but also your internal team members there. I think it speaks to how special of an organization it really is. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. And thank you for your time, man. I really enjoy your podcast and I'll continue to be a fan.
Absolutely. Tell people where they can learn a little bit more about Red, where they can find it. It sounds like it's just about everywhere, but go ahead and plug that in. We'll have our team get that out. Easy and easiest way is just to go to our website at red-chocolate.com. You go, we got to find us for a store finder. You punch in your zip code. One of the things we just launched, which I think is really cool, is a chef series. We've got chefs from all around the world. And what they do is they take red chocolate and we've got appetizers. We've got desserts. We got a beautiful mole sauce that was made with it. So go through, watch the recipes. They're real easy. You know, and we try to make it interactive. So this way it's not, again, we're not a transactional company. We don't want to be a transactional company, brother. But you'll find me, if somebody sees me out there, listens to this podcast, by all means, feel free to reach out to me. If I can help you, I will. If I can't, hopefully I can give you some kind of direction. I'm always available, man. There was people in my life that have done it for me. And you know what? I'm all about paying it forward. So please don't ever think that calling me or sending me a note is going to bum me out or I'm not going to listen because I do. <laughs> I think it shows. All right, brother. We appreciate it.